Church, would you join me in reading Genesis 3, 1 through 7? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the, in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carrie Ann. And man, it is, it's, it is good to be uh, back in the book of Genesis. We, we believe in preaching through books of the Bible, um, not because we can't think of anything else to do, <laughs> but because there's nothing else that we feel like we should do or want to do. Um, even if it takes a year of going verse by verse, section by section through uh, the book of Genesis, what we're trusting is actually God has already designed the structure of that book, has already knows what's happening in our lives, the life of our community, life of our church, and is lining these things up. And so we're not like, man, I hope in six weeks that whatever passage we're on, like, you know, if it doesn't fit, I guess we'll have to think. No, it's like we know it's going to fit <laughs> because, because he is running these things and, and, um, and trusting that, that, that he will transform us every week through his word. And that's, I, I remember after my parents first came to Jesus, um, they were about, about my age uh, when they gave their lives to Jesus. I remember my dad even just, just kind of took initiative as we were driving to a church in Des Moines at the time. And he would just say, hey, let me just, pr can I just pray that we would get our hearts ready for what God has for us this morning? You know, and I just remember being like, who's this guy, <laughs> you know, that uh, God is changing and stuff. And so really exciting. So let's, let's keep in mind uh, or know for the first time that what is happening in the book of Genesis? Like, it's easy, I think, when you first kind of have exposure to book. I think most of my time growing up, if you said Genesis, I, I might be able to say, Moses? Is that, I remember those two coming together. Uh, that's where everything begins. That's kind of the, the, the origin story, right? Um, but God, in his, like, wisdom of how he has books come about, is they have a original audience, and the more we get close to the original audience, the more that a lot of times God uses that for the present audience, which is us. And so, so kind of learning from the people who first got it, uh, then having the Holy Spirit get, guide us as we're getting it, um, works together. So the first audience are people who all they've ever known is slavery, so these are people who, for hundreds of years, they have been groomed to be obedient Egyptian slaves. Over hundreds of years, all of the gods of Egypt 
were just poured over them and on them and what we celebrated at holidays and stuff like that. Now, God's people had heard things beforehand, but they are, they are swimming in the waters of Egypt for hundreds of years as slaves where people tell them when they can and can't go to the bathroom and all these things that, that, that they were being controlled. And what is happening here is the Egyptians wanted them to get a really small God of the Old Testament. They wanted a small God so that Pharaoh and the, the gods of Egypt were big and controlled their lives. And what God is doing is he's preparing a people's hearts, preparing a people's minds, preparing their soul, preparing their strength to go from being slaves to now being kingdom builders, nation builders. So the book of Genesis, like, like we need to like look at the forest view of it. The book of Genesis, that we can't lose this like perspective as we get into the life of Joseph and Abraham and Jacob and Sarah and all these people that will be wonderful, I think, for the Lord to teach us so much through their lives. But at the big picture, the book of Genesis is written to a people who have gotten out of Egypt, but now God has to get Egypt out of the people. He's gotten a people out of Egypt, but now he needs to get Egypt out of the people. And man, our, our plan and our prayer is that, that this book would have similar effects for us. So a quick review, the first two chapters of Genesis are focused on creation. Our view of what, what is, our view of how what is came about deeply affects everything else. So if I bump into someone who's like, man, I, I love the Bible, I, I love Jesus, I, I, I am, I'm all in with Jesus, and I don't believe he created any of this, and I don't believe God created any of this, I think the book of Genesis is wrong. I would, I would say, we can't, whatever you're saying next doesn't matter. We, we, we need to talk right, right here. This is foundational. Um, so, and because it, it was foundational for them. Hey, let's start at the beginning for what God is calling them to and what God is calling us to. And so the, the goal of the first two chapters is to learn about creation. But I would argue with it, uh, it's creation in the, uh, let's think about Adventureland, okay? I've had the, what is it, the monster still terrifies me. That first drop, um, you know, you see the photos later and the person's like this in the photos, you know? I'm still the like, look like my life has ended in the photo, you know? Uh, but, but, you know, it's like too deep and you have someone strapped in behind you and you're in for the ride, okay? So imagine if... The first two chapters of the book of Genesis was on a roller coaster. And you're strapped in. You can't turn around and look back. But God is behind you strapped in. Okay? And it's like, okay, we're going to go through the ride of creation. And so as you are on the ride, what you're hearing is the guy behind you speaking. And as he speaks, worlds are brought into existence, okay? To the point that 
Even the most stoic person, I think, would have tears streaming down your face as the majesty of creation is unfolding around us, where, where creation must obey every syllable of God. Okay? Creation must obey every syllable he speaks. You know, you, we don't see any in creation where it's like the trees are like, uh, do we hear you correctly? We're supposed to be trees? You know? No, it's like perfect obedience of creation with every syllable that God speaks. And you're on the ride, you know, taking this all in. And um, he speaks creation into existence. When the ride comes to a stop, none of us would get off the ride and be like, let's play in creation. None of us. When we get off the ride, I think we would turn around and be like, who are you that you spoke worlds into existence? I mean, I, I don't think any of us would get off the platform. We would get on our face on the platform in front of him and just, and those are the first two chapters he gives us and the creation of, of people. And the, the one whose words alone demand the world's obedience of being created, he gives his creation permission and says, hey, this is yours. Just, just giving it to you. <laughs> have fun with it. It's your world. And um, have dominion over it. Work it. Made you that that will bring you a lot of meaning. And I'm just going to give you one boundary. One boundary for you to flourish in. And he speaks it, okay? We've only heard him speaking worlds into existence, and he speaks a boundary into existence. It's Genesis 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. And think of garden more as a national park, state park, than like your backyard garden. But you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So we know the tree of life is there. So he's saying, free reign, giving you one boundary. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He's spoken life into existence. He has set before them life. Adam and Eve would enjoy God's perfect good creation forever. And I've even felt this with my best friend, my wife, uh, passing away is like the original design of marriage was not till death do us part. When God brought Adam and Eve together in the garden, the design was for them to be together forever, enjoying God's good world together. They would walk with God in the garden together forever. They can eat of every tree of the garden but one. If they eat of that one, they will die. Death will become a reality in life. The life-bringing maternal beauty of woman. So you even see the way he designed men and women. That the life-giving, even for someone who is not able to conceive a child in their body, they, there is a maternal life-bringing force, so to speak, in women that is a 
beautiful, made in God's image, true of God in a way that is seen in women that is not seen that way in men. Then the protective masculine strength of Adam is designed for life to flourish. God has spoken, God is near, he walks with them in the garden, and God has given them free will. He doesn't force our obedience. He doesn't chain us to himself. We, uh, the, the, the greatest love is love that is not forced, but is free. And he designed this. And at some time before this moment, at some time before this moment, there has been a deeply sinful act, a outrageously sinful act among angels, okay? Angels are the only other created beings. Angels aren't like equal. It's not like God and angels are. No, angels are created just like we are. They have consciousness in a way that's different from like your dog. They have consciousness, self-consciousness, and free will. Angels have free will as well. They are made to serve humans and worship God with their lives forever. Angels are older than any of us. One of the reasons that angels are older than any one of us is because angels don't procreate. So all of us have parents. Um, we have a birth date. Angels were all, because they don't procreate, angels were all created at the same time. So they all have the same birthday. And they've all been around from whenever they were first made, okay? So angels are far older than us in the room. And um, they do seem to have a hierarchy we know of archangels. Um, we only know the name of three angels in scripture. Like a seraphim is like a category of an angel, it seems like, a hierarchy of an angel. Um, but we know of Michael. He, we see him a lot in the book of Daniel. We know of Gabriel, who had the huge privilege of communicating things to Mary and Joseph and uh, some other people in scripture. And we know the name Lucifer believing that Lucifer was likely a, a very high uh, in the hierarchy of angels, angel, and Lucifer wanted what only God deserved. Lucifer wanted to have what only God had, which is worship. Crazy enough, he even tempts Jesus, his creator, to worship him. He is the father of lies. And somehow, Lucifer rebels against God. He wants to be God. And somehow, I think we'll learn about it one day of how some of these details happen. He convinces a third of the angels to follow him, who are now known as demons. Thankfully, two thirds of the angels say, No way. With our free will, we freely will serve humans and we freely will worship God with our lives forever and have continued that free will since this moment. So Lucifer, also known as Satan, comes in the form of a serpent, a snake. 
And I, I've, I've been studying, archaeology is like a side passion and thing that, to me, it's like gardening. Like, I just enjoy doing it even on my day off and stuff. Just, and I was researching the snake imagery as it relates to God's, lowercase g, in the ancient world. And it's stunning how many of the countries, even around Egypt at the time and around what would become Israel to, uh, like later, around 1500 BC, but like two, 3000 BC, a lot of the, like, the, the coin, like it's mainly like golden stuff that's in the British Museum and things like that, had snakes on them as part of the symbol of the gods that they were worshiping. So in some ways I'm like, oh man, Satan was deceiving them too, that people group who were destroyed. Uh, that's kind of his MO. S Satan was influencing them. He was influencing them, taking the form of a serpent, a snake. God didn't create him as a snake. Uh, he's created as a, as a majestic, beautiful, glorious creation. It was good, um, his creation of the angels. But, uh, um, but here, a terrible act has happened. And instead of serving humans, worshiping God with their lives, verse one of chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I, mean, I, I want him to be in hell forever for that question. And he will be. All of the pain He, did God really say? And then he messes it up. God didn't say that. I mean, the first response would be, no. He actually said we could eat of any tree. He, he said we could eat anywhere. He just gave us one tree. Perfect answer. In chapter two, God clearly says they can eat of any tree in the garden. And Eve should have directly been clear to say no. She could have clear to say, get away from me. We're walking with God. Um, but also, Eve's response is both accurate, but it also feels flimsy. Look at verse three. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. So that was right, rightish. It, you know, it's not quite what God said, but it's correct. Um, you, shall, you shall not, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that at all. So I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, oh, wait a second. This isn't, <laughs> we're going against Satan here. Um, and you're, you're a little wishy-washy with what exactly God said. Okay, every word of creation he spoke, boom. Now, communicating something very clearly to humans, it's, it's wishy-washy here. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the, womb, the, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And that is evil. For God knows. I'll, I'll, speak, I'll speak for God here. <laughs> Don't worry. He's, he's probably busy. I'll let you know what he says. But God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Maybe God's not sharing the whole story here. 
Maybe there's a conspiracy against you and God is against you because God knows that if you eat of this, your eyes are gonna open and you will be like him, which is what he wanted. And he's tempting them that maybe God doesn't want what's best for them. And if you really eat of this, you're gonna be like him and you're gonna know good and evil. God's clear word is not held with such clarity. And man, there's, there's kind of like an, an anatomy of temptation here and that we need to, we need to be wise to. We, we must become wise to. And I, three things I think you see here that Satan is doing and that he continues to do even now to get us to, to doubt, to question, to be suspicious. So first is doubting God's words. Did he really say? Doubting God's words. Second is doubting God's heart. God is only doing this because he doesn't really love you. He's only doing this because he's, you know, he's got the, the magnifying glass and he's trying to fry you with the sun, you know, like he's, he's he, he, doubting God's heart. And third is doubting God's way. Man, if you eat of this, the road you're going down is gonna be a really great way. And, and God either doesn't know that or he does know it, but he's hiding it from you. Doubting God's words, doubting God's heart, doubting God's way. And he does this today as Carrie Ann was praying into too. A huge contrast. And you see there, there are reasons for this contrast too. A huge contrast is, is in the New Testament, when Jesus grows up, he's going to start his ministry. The Holy Spirit leads him out into the desert, like desert, desert. Um, he's in the middle of nowhere in the desert, to be, and he's tempted by Satan. Satan's like, I'm pretty good at this tempting thing. I'm going to go tempt Jesus. And when he tempts Jesus, Jesus could have pulverized him. Jesus could have just argued with him and being like, you have no idea, you know, and Jesus could have beat him intellectually on every single point. And the, the, the things that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with were worthy for him to be in hell forever. How dare he do those things and think that way about the one who created him and designed him to flourish forever at his side. And I think Jesus did this partly to show us every word that Jesus said to Satan was quoting the book of Deuteronomy. And you know, might be, you might be like, whoa, I need to start reading the book of Deuteronomy. You know, I need to, I need to have that in my toolbox, which I, I, I agree. But every single word, he didn't at any time go off script, so to speak. He just Book of Deuteronomy. I mean, at the time that Jesus um, is tempted, so to speak, where Satan is even saying, hey, if you worship me, Jesus, I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And, you know, you get that, like, eyeball to eyeball. You know, I think Iowans like that, where it's like, 
yeah, we signed a contract, but I looked into his eyes, you know? Like, he passed the eyeball test, you know? Um, and I think, like, Jesus just worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Satan left him. It's like, man, I can't break through the power of those words. Um, of course, he tries, but... So, unfortunately, though, for each of us, Eve falls for the temptation. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. It's interesting. It's a detail new to us. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. I need to try this out so that I'll really know. She took of the fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her the whole time. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Shame. They feel shame. Adam and Eve's close relationship with God, God's very clear words to them, Eve's femininity, Eve's wiring and desire to nurture life and her family, Adam's masculinity, Adam's wiring, design, desire to protect his family, a murderer, a thief, with the wickedest intent has come right into the middle of their family, and they're clueless. And man, I'm baffled by how Adam was standing there the whole time, just gotten off the Adventureland ride too, standing there the whole time, just watches There's a lot of times I feel so much compassion towards Adam and Eve. It might sound weird, but probably I would have done the same thing. Um, feel a lot of compassion to them. Other times I feel a lot of anger towards them. They're adults who are acting like children in the face of eternal things. We'll spend the next couple of weeks learning more and more of the extent of this moment. This is the fountainhead of all that is wrong. This is the fountainhead of all that is wrong. Let it suffice to say that what is wrong in this world is not going to be fixed with the right Congress, with the right elected speaker of the house. What is wrong is not gonna be fixed with the right amount of education. What is wrong is not gonna be fixed with the right amount of medical innovation. What is wrong is not gonna be fixed by the right amount of reparations or the right amount of people canceled. And so many of these things are worth the time, worth the energy, worth the attention. The first family though, the first people to freely disobey the words of the creator has led to what is wrong and all else flows from that fountainhead. And the God who was disobeyed, who loved us enough to not hide to show us his glory and his splendor and loved us enough to give us free will that we could freely disobey him, did not condemn us, but came to our rescue. The very one who desired to walk again in the garden with them left the garden, the ultimate garden, to dwell among us, to lead us back to the garden. The God who was disobeyed, the God who was minimized, would end up coming himself to rescue us, 
Satan does not get the last word. Death does not get the last word. Satan is hell-bent for us to doubt God's words, question God's heart, reject God's way. Jesus is heaven-bent for us to believe God's words, know God's heart for us, and accept God's way. And Larry, being baptized today, has done that, desires to do that, wants to continue to do that. He has come to believe God's words, accept them as the banner over his life, know God's heart for him, accept God's way for him. And man, would each of us do the same thing today? Maybe for the first time, maybe in a renewed way today, but we each need a fresh wave of God's true, clear word anchoring us, God's good heart warming us, and God's way leading us. Um, So I'm gonna pray into that. And what my desire is, is even as we pray into that, that um, he is not far away. You're here for a reason. And if you sense it all, God is drawing you to himself in a new way, in what maybe feels like a first time. Um, Man, please don't resist. I I beg you not to resist. I would love to talk with you, to pray with you. Um, What is, uh, I remember even that day with Larry, him and I just sitting down and him just sharing some some important things and, and just saying, it's time. It's time for me to come to him. And, um, and man, um, would it be time for each of us to let God's word, God's way, God's heart just flood us? And his design for us, one of the things he designed for his church is communion. We don't be like, okay, I wanna follow God. I'm gonna come and eat this and drink this. He, he said, this is a very tangible way for us to commune with him. We're communing with him. And these are things that we're doing as we commune with him. And this, this is not for, um, in, in any way, um, a response. Like, it's not like, okay, you wanna respond to him, drink this. It's no, we come to him. <laughs> we respond to him. We, we, we come to Jesus as he is building his church, as he is building us, as he is leading us. Um, And he said, hey, I'm I'm gonna give you these elements as a tangible way as we commune together. So so let me pray first, so then I'll I'll say a little bit more about that. So Lord, we... We hate that Genesis 3 happened. You were worthy of unending, unbroken obedience, worship. You were worthy of that. You were not, nothing about you deserved what, what came about. Um, and at the same time, we are baffled that instead of condemning us, you rescued us. That even now, you give us the free will to walk away from you And you also give the power for us to come home running. And would every soul in here come home running today? 
And as we just learn more about even how human being three killed human being four, it got dark and hard so fast that, uh, God, we want your light to just shine up our community, to shine in our lives, in our families, in our minds, in our wills, um, among each other. Lord, would you shine your light in the darkness and we'd, we just um, marvel and give you the worship that you're due. Pray these things, Jesus, your name, amen. So take some moments, let him do some work in your heart. If, if you have yet to put your trust in Jesus, um, in many ways, this is not gonna make sense to you. Um, what I would encourage you to do is give your life to Jesus or I'll be over here, I'd love to talk with you, pray with you along those lines. Um, uh, for, there is warnings in scripture about coming to the table as a believer um, too quickly <laughs> um, and without giving the Lord time to... to um, do what he needs to do uh, for our joy to be deepened and for us to walk more closely with him. So let's spend some moments, but then we'll come down the center aisle together. Uh, you'll be served um, communion by uh, our brother and sister. Just hold your hands out as they give you the bread and um, remain standing. We'll take it together as family. Please come.